This is the Swampscott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. Brunonia Berry is the New York Times and international best-selling author of The Lace Reader, The Map of True Places, and The Fifth Petal. Her work has been translated into more than 30 languages and has been an Amazon Best of the Month and a People Magazine pick. Her reviews and articles on writing have appeared in the London Times and the Washington Post. She lives in Salem, Massachusetts. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah. So I guess first to start, I just kind of wanted to ask you about your journey to becoming a writer. Well, it took me a long time. Um, I wanted to be a writer, I would say, before college, probably in high school. And that was, um, I got some encouragement from teachers, which was wonderful, because that that helps so much if you have an interest in you know, you, you want to get some feedback. So that was nice. And then, um, and then after that, um, I went to college and I wanted to be a journalist and they very quickly funneled me into fiction writing because I like to embellish. So it really got to be kind of a joke, but, um, and then I, then after that, I studied screenwriting. I moved to New York for a while and studied screenwriting at NYU extension and, uh, ended up getting an agent there um, getting an option deal on the first thing I'd written and going out to LA and then stayed in LA for 20 years and got nothing else done. (laughs) I studied a lot. I studied with a man named Robert McKee who wrote a book called story, but in, in those days he had workshops and I was with nine other writers and I, I was in the workshop. It wasn't until I came back here though. Um, we moved back to Marblehead and then Salem when my parents needed help they my dad had parkinson's and my mom had severe rheumatoid arthritis and he'd been her caregiver and then he was diagnosed mm-hmm. and they said we had all we'd always been sort of saying i think we might like to move back and my dad called and said if you're coming come now so we did we moved back and um i started the lace reader and it took seven years to write because i had a i had a real job at the time too Mm. But that, uh, that was, that's the way it began. <laughs> nice. So your first novel, The Lace Reader, was self-published. Um, can you talk about that process at all and why you yes. decided to go that route? Well, my husband and I had started, uh, when, when we moved back, I worked for Lotus Development in Cambridge. And soon after I, we moved back here, IBM took over Lotus, but I guess, I think it was a hostile takeover actually, but they um they took over and i had the opportunity to cash out quite a bit of my stock so i did and gary and i had wanted my husband gary and i had wanted to start um an entertainment um software company software puzzles and uh we did and it was called smart games and we went for a couple of years with it we won all sorts of awards for nonviolence and intellectual stimulation i would say at a time that that was you know it knew and um to do it you know with a computer and um and then we got bought by hasbro 
Um, and when that happened, I was uh, head of sales and marketing. And when that happened, I um, lost my job. So we, and we didn't have a whole lot to do. He was still doing development, but I thought we should self-publish this book because um, we're already software publishers, which we were. And then the joke was how hard could it be? And of course, <laughs> it's a completely, completely different thing that we probably wouldn't have undertaken at that time had we realized every, you know, what every step entailed. Um, but we did, we started it and we, and my initial idea was, well, what I'd really like to do besides write is start a small press for local books, particularly. Um, so, you know, local writers, fiction writers, particularly. And so um, we started an imprint and um, named it Flap Jacket Press. And we um, we did the things we did in the software business. We tested the product with people. We um, hired a public relations company. Everything we would do to launch a piece of software, except that it was, you know, it's a little different to launch a book. And I had been in, in charge of um, retail at Lotus. So I had been, um, I was familiar with the distributors. Some of the same distributors are this are the ones that, worked in software. So that was a, a little in. Um, and um, that's how we started. I also um, tested with a lot of book clubs and, um, you know, was in contact with my local bookstore, which at the time was um, Spirit of 76 and Marblehead. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I went in and, and um, asked them if they had a, I knew they had a lot of book clubs that they sold books to. And I asked them if they had a book club that would be interested in reading um, a self-published book by a fledgling novel writer. And they just, they didn't roll their eyes, but they said, well, let us give it some thought. And about, um, I think about a month later, they called and said, we have one for you. So I tested the book because I thought I was in a writer's group, but I thought, um, really the way to test the book is with readers. So, I mean, it's, it's good to test both. I always have my beta readers who are writers that just, um, you know, read and critique the book. But if you really want to see how it works, you should, I think, go to readers. And one of the best ways to do that, I think, is book clubs. So um, then we, um, we had a bit of luck, and this could have all fallen apart at any time because we we manufactured you know paperback books um trade paperback size and um but then distributing them was an interesting dilemma because it was really it was okay and the local bookstores were very nice and helpful but how do you get this going nationally mm -hmm. and we found we needed a distributor a small distributor um but most of them wouldn't take a one book company one book imprint so uh, luckily, one of the um, women who worked at this distributor um, read the book and said, we're taking this. I don't care. We're, you know, we'll take this anyway. So um, it was a company called Blue Sky Media, and they took us on. And then we went um, to, we went to uh, Book Expo, which I'm sure you've been to, or, um, mm. you know, the big show with the distributor and actually... <laughs> The way um, we we um, marketed our book was we were Blue Sky had the last 
booth on the way to the ladies room. And my husband gave um, a free copy to just about everybody who came through and wow. came out of the ladies room. So it was really a good spot and it got to be kind of a joke. And, um, and, and right after that, we, um, Kelly and Hall, who was our, our public relations company, submitted the book to Publishers Weekly and it got a starred review. Mm. And so that was the, a huge bit of luck because that propelled the whole book to where it eventually got. So, yeah, wow. That's kind of <laughs> story. It seems like a lot of, like you mentioned at the beginning, a lot of different pieces falling into place kind of perfectly. And your experience, you know, in a different kind of publishing also probably had an impact on that. I think it probably did. When people ask me now, should I self publish? It is, it's a bit easier now because ebooks are so popular. Mm-hmm. And this was 2007 when we first got started. And, um, and they really weren't quite, I mean, of course, we, published with Amazon and we were, you know, were, and we did that, but um, it wasn't quite as easy to market. Like online marketing wasn't what it is now. So I would say if anyone wants to self-publish, I'd say do an ebook, test it, and then see where you want to go from there. But as far as printing, you know, it's a lot, it, it was very expensive and a lot of money could have been lost. So we were, we were lucky, mm. lucky in every, in every way. Yeah, and it sounds like you had a lot of faith in the, you know, the book, and and that probably helped too. It's probably and helped that it's a good story. <laughs> and it was sort of a now or never thing. We, I had been, I had had a little experience with self-publishing in that I worked for a time um, with a company in Lexington called Between Productions, which did a series called the Beacon Street Girls, a YA, or actually a tween series. Mm. And um, I'd been one of their writers and I'd written a couple books for them and they were, they self-published their books and I watched what they did. So I got some ideas just sort of, it was almost as if I was an intern there, although they paid me to be there, but I learned a lot about how you do it. So I, I uh, felt a little bit more comfortable jumping into the book world from that. Mm. So I wanted to go back and ask you a little bit about uh, book clubs which you mentioned earlier. What do you think makes them so convin- conducive to um, get, you know, getting attention for your book? Well, the first thing they talk to each other. Mm. So they network and it's funny when I, I started with the one book club that I invited over to my house and you know, the lace reader takes place partly in a tea room. So I decided I'd have them over for tea. And my, my advice to people is um, depending on the book club, of course, but it's a little easier when you serve wine <laughs> because um, you know it loosens people up a little a little sooner. Um, but the 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 issue was they had all read the book. I think there were nine women, and they were they were just lovely people. And my nieces helped me serve tea, and one of them took notes because I was going to ask questions about the book, and then get them to do their regular discussion. And they're so comfortable with each other that getting a discussion going isn't hard. What, what is hard is getting them to be brutal with you, which is really what you need. And so, um, so I had to really beg them and say, if you're not, if you don't tell me exactly what you think and, and be honest, this isn't going to help me at all. I mean, I'm very happy you did it. And, you know, they expressed that they liked it. Um, but I think, you know, by the time the book um, 
was released widely, you know, which was a year later when after uh, William Morrow bought it, there were, I think, the first week out, something like 37 book clubs reading it that I knew of. And they, they really, you know, they really share information. And what are you guys reading? Well, we think this is really good. And that's, you know, everybody talks to everybody. And now it's even more so because there are so many online book clubs. And, you know, that's a great way that the word is passed. Mm. Uh, I just had the experience of um, having a friend who's working on a YA novel, actually. And she let us, like a small group of her friends, read it. And then we all got together outside and just discussed it. And it was really, I mean, it was difficult to say things, you know, critical things about it mm -hmm. to her face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She took it really well and she just took notes all the time. And she, she's like, I don't really want to be part of this discussion. I just kind of want to like hear what you guys have to say about it. It was really fun to be just part of that beginning experience. So uh, yeah. I Were you able to be honest and did, did that work for her and for you? Oh yeah. And, yeah, I mean, hopefully you liked it, but it, there are always things that need improvement. Mm. Yeah, and I think she had been so stuck in her mind for, I don't know, she's probably been working on it for over a year now. Um, so I think it was kind of eye-opening for her, too, to see things that she thought were, were working that for somebody reading it for the first time, which most people would be. Um, yeah, so that, that, I think that was good. That, and that really gives you fresh eyes, because I noticed with my writer's group that they can read usually once maybe twice and then you know then they just can't see it anymore and that's mm -hmm. the case with a lot of and that's the case with writers anyway because writers always have great ideas on how to help and that can be the best thing you've ever heard but we all get a little bit um attached to our own ideas right so if the one you're giving notes to don't doesn't pick it up you kind of go oh well i really like my idea better mm -hmm. so it's kind of tricky. Um, but I think with um, it, the, the most important question, I had a list of questions for for the book club, but the most important one and the one if another writer is listening and wants to do this that I would recommend is, where did you stop reading? Mm. Because you know, used, most book clubs take about a month to read a book and they've got to stop somewhere. So there are obvious break points. But whenever you come to a point that they say, oh no, I didn't get past this, and start to agree with each other. You know you've got an issue. You don't necessarily know what it is, but right. here's a spot you gotta work on. And then the other thing was, um, I learned so much from them because in the Lace Reader, I didn't realize this, but I didn't do many physical descriptions at all. The readers filled in those. Mm -hmm. um, I've been trained into doing much more of them with editors I've worked with since. And um, so that's, that's changed a bit. I would describe places, but um, I wouldn't describe what characters look like, except for one character who had red hair or maybe two. Mm -hmm. um, I have red hair. So I always think that's fun to do. Mm -hmm. um, but, but um, what happened in book clubs is they would cast the quote, the movie and all of the characters would look different. And that's how I realized that I wasn't describing them at all. Mm -hmm. And they were they would argue about it. It was it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I guess when you spend a lot of time with a book or a month with a book, then you really, you know, feel like you have an idea of who of the characters, and that could be completely different than somebody else. So that's funny. I think it's really interesting. And then you also, you know, there were just 
some characters that people couldn't identify with. And it usually was that I hadn't gone deep enough into the character. It would might be a peripheral character or something that I was, I didn't think I had to spend as much time with. And I usually do very um, long biographies of each one. And usually if there's trouble with a character, it's, I have to go back to the biography and see why. Mm. Uh, so, but sometimes I needed to just flesh out a biography and then that, then it would move and they would be at least, if not likable, at least um, someone you could empathize with or understand. Right. So. How do you see, did you ever utilize libraries, um, local libraries in the area in, when you were beginning your self-publishing process? Oh yeah. You did? Oh yes, always. Um, well, first of all, I, I love to write in libraries. So um, that was a big part of it. And um, there were, with Sa in Salem, um, I had access, to, I'm a member of the Salem Athenaeum, which you know is a library. and um, and there's a writer's group there where I used to go. Um, there's a, I'm not sure what day it is anymore, but it's a morning writing group and you just take your notebook or your computer and no one talks to anyone, but you write together. But while I was there, I started looking up, they have some, they have some great records of, of Salem history there. Mm. And so I just started browsing um, through through the the records and actually the second book the map of two places one of the people um catalogs books for the library for the salem athenaeum and so um i spent quite a bit of time there but also my first um appearances even when it was self-published were with libraries and um that was great i mean besides book clubs it was libraries and our local bookstore of course mm -hmm. but um, they they passed the word as much as um, as anyone else did, and probably more. So uh, so that was just great. And you know, there's usually a local interest in local writers from a library that there might not be as much commercially. Right. And I think lately even more so, which is nice. Hmm. That's great. Do you find that since the pandemic, I know we're doing so many things online, and so many people have had to pivot to to you know, planned book tours, now they're online, um, which is pretty interesting that everybody's able to do so. But uh, do you think that the move to online has uh, helped or hurt marketing for books and new authors? I actually think, I think there's a lot of traffic. Um, and so I think it, it, for new authors, I think it might be hard to be be seen amidst all the noise but I think ultimately it's it's one of the best things that has happened to marketing of books because you can reach so many more people and certainly um things like what we're doing now or you know regular zoom events or um have certainly when you're talking to groups of people you can reach a whole lot more people mm. now than you could I know we I was just at one event that had 2,500 people from all over the world attending. And I thought that, how are you even doing that? That's, um, you know, that's ridiculous. It was sort of an all day event, people going in and out, but that was the total. And I thought that's, um, I, we couldn't have done that before. And I have, um, I my books have been published in a lot of different languages. And so it's great to have people coming, you know, attending an event from all over. I also think, I think it's a little daunting for 
for authors to have to do as much with social media as we have to do now. When, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the case. My first um, book, The Lace Reader, when Morrow brought it out was, um, it was a six month book tour, actually, which doesn't happen now. They just kept me on the road for six months because, you know, other people, other locations just kept saying we would like to see her. So, so I was flying all around the country and then, and then to Europe and all sorts of other things. So, um, but that doesn't happen now budget wise, and it hasn't proven to be really effective pulling people in as much as online has. So, and then there are, um, there are, uh, places like a mighty blaze, um, that just host writers all day long. And so that's, you know, there's some great venues but I also think when a writer starting has a harder time, if you've already got a following and you have a book coming out, it's easier to get it noticed because there, there are many books that, well, you know this, that come out every year, mm-hmm. many, many. So distinguishing yourself is hard. So I think you really have to develop a, a platform and you have to, do, well, you know, there, there are all sorts of places, um, I think probably Instagram and Facebook are the best for me, but doesn't mean I was good at um at connecting when I'm when the, I'm in the middle of the book I disappear for a while and then I surface when I finish yeah um speaking of social media I bet it is amazing to hear from readers but do you feel pressure to respond to every reader or you know if they want to tell you their thoughts on the book or or thank you for the book do you do you feel pressure to respond to those people I sometimes miss messages for a while, especially if I'm involved in writing another book, but I try to respond to everybody and, and I, and I read every review and I'm, I, I don't think a lot of writers like to do that. I love to, because it kind of tells me once again, if, if, if there are some bad comments and there more than one person says so, then I start listening. What didn't you like about this? Or, you know, so I think, but I do respond and I've actually met some incredible readers that way, because since I've been writing about Salem, a lot of people want to come to Salem and sometimes they do and say, will you meet me? And I think Mm -hmm. if I can, I mean, I'm really careful about it. Um, But I've, I've met just some, uh, some people I'll be friends with for life who've just come through town and I've met for a cup of coffee Mm. and it's just, you know, it's just really quite amazing. And you'd reach people that you never, you don't know who you're reaching with book really. So any feedback I think is, is great and doesn't seem like pressure. Although right when it, just when a book launches, um, it can be a little daunting if it's, you know, popular. So. Yeah. So I also wanted to ask you about Salem as a setting because you've, um, had some of your books take place in Salem. Uh, what about it is so inspiring to you? Well, you know, when I, I grew up in Marblehead and then I left um, way back in, right after college, um, which was 72. And I went to um, Chicago and then New York City and uh, then California. And when I came back, Salem wasn't the same at all as it had been when I left town. And I mean, I used, I came back to visit often, um, but I didn't spend much time in Salem. And when I moved, when my husband Gary and I moved back, um, it was, it was 
quite different. And, you know, the whole witch culture had taken hold and the economy had shifted. Uh, I think Salem was in a depressive economy before I left. It was, you know, the, the mall had gone, North Shore Mall had gone in, all the shopping had moved over there. Mm-hmm. And there was really nothing, no more manufacturing, nothing going on. But when I got back, it was full of um, witches and tourists. And, you know, we used to call it universal tours without the budget. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was anything went in Salem. And I thought, this is a place that is as much, as open as Los Angeles was. And that's the one thing I really love, besides the weather about Los Angeles, I loved how open you could be anyone you want. Well, that's really true in Salem. Mm-hmm. And so I found it fascinating. And of course, the longer I spent there, then we moved over here. And you know what you see at first, of course, is nothing like what's, what's underneath. And, and what's underneath is better. And so I, I just fell in love with the town. And then of course, I'm, a, I'm an architecture fan anyway. So there's a corner in Salem that you can stand on and see five different periods of, archi- of American architecture. And I'm just, you know, I, you could just, I could just wander streets here and be, and discovers a different story on every street. And I also think the, the most important thing I think about Salem is the history is ever present because our economy depends on it. And so you're living in a sort of dark history um, that you, I mean, I'm making money on it too. That's, mm-hmm. you know, my books always have a bit of that in it. And, um, and you can't escape it. So, and in a way, nor do you want to, it's a cautionary tale. So, but there is also, you know, there's a whole group of people who would like to be known for, for the rest of our history, like the being the richest port in the new world. And, um, early education and particularly of women and abolition and all sorts of things that Salem was involved with that, as the mayor says, we bring them to town for the witches and then we show them what we got. (laughs) So, so that's, so I'm in love with this town as you can probably tell. But um, so I just felt like someone's going to write about this. And there are many people writing about the witches and very witchy stories. And I, I appreciate those. I've read them. And, uh, but this, I wanted to write about Salem now and how it's a haven for, you know, there are pagans from all over the world who come to live here and um, celebrate a religion that we, we don't know when we think about witchcraft, we think, you know, all the, the magical, we think Harry Potter and we think, um, you know, all the witchy books we've read and there's certain element of that, but it's also a religion. Mm. And so I was fascinated by all of that, obviously. That's a long answer to a short question. Right? Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about if you thought, it sounds like you've lived many other places, and particularly L.A., do you, would you ever consider setting a story in another part of the world or country? You know, I tried with my last book that turned out to be completely different from what I started. I was going to I lived in um, Dublin for a while, and then... And also lived in um, County Clare, Ireland for a while, for about a year. And I thought, boy, it would be nice to write Boston story and um, Ireland and going back and forth. But I tried it and I thought, I don't know this place well enough. Mm. I thought I didn't know Ireland well enough to do it. And 
I couldn't go deep enough. And, mm. but Los Angeles, one time, one day I'll write about Los Angeles. And I think, um, again, it's the kind of place when you see it, you do all the tourist things. And, you know, it took me a year to even know what, what the, what the real LA was starting to look like. It took, at the end of almost 20 years, I, I knew it pretty well. Um, but it, if I did that, I think it would have to be a memoir because it would be my point of view so much. And also, I always say I was raised in Marblehead, but I really grew up in Los Angeles. Mm. There were some really huge life-changing events that happened to me out there. Most good, not all. And, um, and I think, so I think that would be a memoir. Mm. If I did that, but I would, I'm interested in doing it. I've, I've written some blog posts about it um, at times, but have, again, haven't gone quite deep enough. So. Yeah. And it sounds like it, both Salem and LA are places that are constantly changing and evolving and the feel of the city or would be different in any time you live there. So it would, it would. I, I got there sort of at the end of the, um, the music era I moved to Laurel Canyon and love that area and then later moved across town and it's it was a completely different city and then with time of course it's all changed uh what is your current day-to-day -day writing process do you try to write every day or when you feel inspired to do so uh, what does that look like for you well right now i'm on a break okay oh, <laughs> yeah i'm on a break and i'm reading everything i didn't get a chance to read while i was finishing i just finished my fourth book and turned it in Oh. And so now I can read for a while and I've been piling up books just to, you know, that I thought I would get to, cause I don't read fiction at the end of, of, um, at the last phase of my own book. I, I stop reading fiction at all. Usually stick to, uh, nonfiction or, or newspaper or just something that's, um, that's in the real world. Because I, I just, I can get too confused. There are so many, my kind of writing has a, there are a lot of threads that you're pulling and, um, and you know, it's psychological thrillers. So I'm always holding very different ideas in my head at the same time. So I get confused if I, if I do that. So, so right now I'm reading, but generally I like to write. Um, I often start at three in the morning and then go back to bed because that seems a nice time to be sort of dreamlike. Mm -hmm. And when I'm, when I'm creating in the beginning, I like to, I don't drink any caffeine or I just try to be as meditative as I can. And so that's a good time of, and then in the morning I do the same, um, just come right into my office and, and write for, I think about four hours a day. And then afternoons are when I edit and then I have a lot of caffeine. <laughs> I'm sure. After a 3 a.m. wake up, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And just, thinking, just looking at it and saying, does that even make sense? You know, that's the kind of editing. Is that a sentence? Is that a word? Yeah. Well, I'm sure after, you know, looking at something for months or even years, that must feel like a marathon, kind of like a, an that I must, I can't imagine working on something for so long. Yeah. It usually takes me three years per book. Mm. I've tried to be two years. Um, it's just, you know, they're very, they're long books, but they're, they have so much detail and they move. Um, 
the beginning of my book is never the beginning of my book. Mm -hmm. I usually write 50 pages and throw the, all of that away before I find the beginning. I always know the end, but <laughs> it's odd. Uh, does that include the, does the three years include the research process? Cause I'm sure your books, um, there's a lot of yeah. research that goes into them. It does. And about a third of the time, sometimes half the time is research. The last, this last book was more than a third of the time. And, and I got so fascinated by, so not this last one, but the um, one before the fifth pedal. Um, there, you know, there were so many elements to it. It was, it, you know, there was history, there was, um, mental illness, which tends to run through a lot of my books, and it really has more to do with how we treat people we consider other, and trauma, and um, and then music and tree communication. Mm. So, so I got I started reading uh, a lot of papers, a lot of um, treatises that people had written on each of these things, and plus. Um, a lot of things, psychology um, papers and not necessarily published anywhere, but, you know, within the research departments of, of, you know, the subject they're written about in, in the college, perhaps. So I had a lot of, uh, you know, online is great for that because you can find things that you couldn't normally find. But I got, you know, I, there was music and, and ancient music and ancient scales and I could have just stayed there. So I think um, this last one, that, that one took quite a bit of time. The one that I just finished, The Island of Mothers and Daughters, is very different. And my research included interviewing mothers and daughters, hmm. uh, mothers, mothers and 30-year-old daughters, 13-year-old uh, daughters um, who get together um, to go away for a retreat weekend and bring them closer and you know 13 year olds and their mothers are often not having a great time to begin with so mm -hmm. so it's you know a good idea that turns out strangely so uh but i i was i had to interview mothers i don't have children but i've had uh two nieces who i've taken in when they were teenagers for a while um and so i i sort of know kids better than i know the parents so uh, I, of course, I have a lot of friends and my book club was really helpful with all of this, my own book club, um, mm -hmm. because they all, all have grown kids and, you know, what was it like at this age? What do you remember? And then I interviewed people right now with 13-year-old um, daughters. So, you know, what's changed between my generation having them and yours? And it was very fun. And actually, I did find when I ended up testing the book with book clubs, I had to split the mothers up from the daughters to make them be honest. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was great fun. And it, and it's actually, it was, it, one of the things I found out was when, when I'm, and I remember this cause I, my teenagers were very, very important to me. Mm -hmm. and I also gave my mother a very hard time at that age. So this is, probably an apology to her but um the way you talk to your friends of course is very different um from the way you talk in front of your parents and um and so i heard a lot of feedback from the mothers saying our daughters don't talk in this sophisticated a manner and all the daughters said oh yeah we do <laughs> so, so so i had to separate them to find that out but i was writing from the point of view of both a mother and a daughter going back and forth
Mm. So that was the research on that book. And that was actually a lot of fun. So, oh. but, and it's set partly in Marblehead. So that was kind of fun too. Oh, that's so. great. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds interesting. So that's your, your um, next book coming out. When does that come out? I don't have a date yet because I just turned it in. And everything is running a bit behind, which mm. you probably have noticed between the printers, uh, one of them going out of business and the and COVID and the election and all that, everything's sort of been tabled. So I think a lot of the books that were going to come out at the end of this year are coming out next year. Mm. And so I don't know. The answer is I don't know. Um, I hope to know soon. Mm, that's great. <laughs> well, it must be a relief to be done. And uh, oh, it is. It is. And it's always a relief if it works out, you know. Right. Um, so I made some big changes with this book. I changed agents. My um my agent, original agent had left and I was sort I was stuck with in a big agency where I felt like I wasn't being really noticed. So um so I made a shift to a boutique writers agency which I love. But that was a, you know, that's a shift to make and then say, well, here's my book, which is a little different from my last books. And then I hope they like it and they loved it. So I, I was lucky. That's great. Uh, so I understand that you're also maybe working on a, a TV series. Um, is that true? Yes. Um, I, the Lace Reader, I would call it a series. It's not, they're all individual books, the Lace Reader the fifth and the Fifth Petal and a book that I I'm just about to go back to, or to start, uh, which is called Bone Lace. Um, and that, so you could call them a series because they have recurring characters, although the stories are different. Mm. And um, Universal, NBC Universal came to me, actually, uh, Carol Mendelson, who was the producer of uh, CSI, mm. fell in love with the lace reader and wanted to do it. And it had been optioned by, other people as a feature film, but it wasn't a great feature. And this is, they're gonna do it instead as a, a series, um, cable series. And uh, they um, are developing all three, all three of the books. And that's, in fact, that's why I have to go finish Bone Lace next because that's the last in the series and, and they need it. So, mm. <laughs> so, so that's been great fun and I really, um, Carol, because of COVID, you know, she, they had a lot of series in productions, in production, and um, they, everything was stopped. And so she actually had time and decided she wanted to write it herself, which was thrilling for me. And we are in communication a couple times a week, generally, and, um, or at least as, at its busiest, we are. And um, I'm a consultant. I'm not. I don't have to write, but um, but I'm involved in just about every step, which is really fun. Wow. So what does that look like? Does she write something and then send it to you and, and see what what you think? Or yeah. And at this point, um, the the pilot is just just starting to be written. But everything leading up to this was detailing every episode of every season they expect to run, and we're looking at probably three although i mean still you have to wait to see if the pilot is picked up because anything can happen in the meantime but but they're hoping for that and these days because of um used to be if they were going to start a series they could just 
tell you what the pilot was. These days, everybody wants every episode. And I think that's great. And I think that's why long form fiction fits so well with, you know, with this new cable um, streaming series idea, because, you know, you can get a whole novel and every detail into it. What, what had happened with the lace reader before as a feature was that um, the woman who produced Practical Magic was doing it mm-hmm. and, and Heather's. And, um, but it was written as a screenplay and there was so much action in the book that the characterization wasn't coming out. You couldn't do it in the length of time you have to do a screenplay, uh, you know, a feature. Right. And so with a, with a series, you get to do a whole book and really flesh out the characters. That's what's been the most fun for me getting to work um, and see what they do. They do, you know, such different things. I'll, I'll say with the lace reader, um, the premise is that a woman's um, great aunt disappears. Uh, The woman's name is Towner Whitney. And she comes back to Salem, which she hates um, because she, the only reason she would come back is to save her aunt. Well, pretty soon into the story, second or third chapter, you find out that her aunt has died. And, and so that's great for the book because it goes from there to really an internal story um, and a, you know, flashing back in history and doing in this girl's history and what happened to her and complex trauma and all this kind of thing. Mm. But in the series, you know, the minute you find out what happened to the great aunt, the tension is released. And so what we're trying to do with the first season is stretch that out, not to the very end, but to maybe three quarters of the way through. And that's quite, that's quite interesting. And then there's also a, um, there's a police investigation going on that was not the focus of my book. Hmm. Um, The relationship between the policeman and Towner was, but, um, but his actual investigation was not. And so how, you know, how do you go a whole season without, it looks like people aren't doing anything if, if you don't put that in. So they've hired uh, consultants and, and luckily she, you know, she wrote and produced CSI. So she knows how to do that, which right. I don't. But it's fascinating for me to watch and say, well, this is what we need. And then they call and say, is that okay with you? And I always say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I will, what I do correct sometimes is the perception of Salem because they're not, the idea was they were going to come out here and spend about a month. And then of course, you know, with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, wow. um, so that's, it's been fascinating and I absolutely love it. And, and also not being responsible for it ultimately is great being a consultant. Yeah. Right. Right. I know you, we talked about casting at the beginning with, when you talked about your book clubs, but oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know if casting is part of it, but was there any, did you have any feelings about um, who should play who or, I, like. I didn't. I know that there are two, well, older women in it. One is, well, not older, but um, Eva, who is, is the great aunt, is, is older. And, mm-hmm. um, and May, who runs the island, the shelter on the island, is um, about 20 years younger than Eva. So Eva's in her 80s. Um, and that, that was, the, for May's part, I know, of course, 
they want Meryl Streep. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. And I go, yeah, we all want a lot of things. Uh, but I do, you know, originally um, I had ideas, but that was, you know, that was back in 2008. So I'm, I'm a little more out of touch with who should play who now, but they they offer suggestions. I go, Oh yeah. Or, Oh no, mm-hmm. really? I up pictures. And then I look up who the person is and, you know, they have the contacts for this. So it's, it's fun. We haven't really, um, they've made suggestions when they've done their presentations to the network. Um, they, they make suggest suggestions, but I don't, that's not how it's going to end up. Mm. That's exciting though. Yeah, and, it is. Yeah. It's, really- it's also good to know that things are in production um, or starting to be, you know, beginning yeah. production so that there'll be some new stuff and how exciting that it's one of your books. So that's great. Thank you. It's really fun. It's just, it's kind of a, a little dream since I started out wanting to be a screenwriter. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's nice. It's nice to not have to be out there and still have this happen magically. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned that you've been reading recently and usually I try to end the podcast with just asking if you've read anything recently that you've liked or that would you recommend anything to people listening? I have. Um, I, I'm asked to blurb a lot of books Mm. when they come out. And one of the recent ones, and this has just come out this month is um, daughter of black Lake by Kathy Marie Buchanan. Mm -hmm. And she's someone that I sort of peripherally knew. um, But I was asked to read her book and and for a possible blurb and I loved it. And it's, um, it's set in, well, it's kind of, it's ancient times. It's when the Romans were first building their roads and invading the North. Um, And it's set in a pagan world and it's a mother daughter story, but the history in it is fabulous and, um, and fascinating and just incredibly well done. But the, but the mother daughter story, of course, I'm interested in because I've, just wrote one right is um is the most compelling and there's all you know all sorts of secrets and all sorts of rituals and it's a it's a world that you know you know the romans are going to finish this road and then this world is going to end and mm. so you see it coming you have the benefit of knowing more than the characters do and i just thought it was a a wonderful read and I'm, of course i'm recommending it to people in salem um because there's a large pagan community and you don't see a lot of books written about that especially such um intellectually um i think such well researched and um books is that i also read i i was uh involved in the salem lit test that i've been involved with for years and i was asked this year to introduce kylie reed such a fun age Mm. and that uh, that was a very interesting book um everyone says it's a, it's really entertaining and it is but it is also um a great social commentary on well not only um it's i guess sort of on white privilege but also it's written from two points of view again um a white woman who employs a a young black uh, babysitter and um and in the very early on, um, the babysitter takes the little girl to a store and is accused of, of kidnapping her. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, you know, it's a, 
just a, a horrible beginning to what ends up being a very thoughtful book, I thought. And I, I liked Kylie a lot in terms of, um, I interviewed her a bit for this so I could understand the background of the book. And um, I thought she was so thoughtful about it. And there's so much talk about cultural appropriation right now. And whether you're allowed to do that, she did it well. So I recommend it. I think it's interesting. And then I just read, mm -hmm. this is one of my favorite things I've ever read. Wow. And I heard this was the perfect book. So I read it and it's older. It's called The Circle by Dave Eggers. Mm. And I absolutely love it. And I think there's so much to it. You know, it's a, it's set in a, a campus that might be like Apple uh, or something, but it's, it's in, in having been in California and in tech, um, when the internet, um, craze was starting up, internet startups were everywhere. Um, I, there's a certain identification I have with, with it, but it's also, um, it's a fascinating thing. And I think there's some parallel to what's happening in China right now mm -hmm. with influence, um, you know, online influence and, um, people can like you or cancel you and um and and just everything is is being driven everything governmental is being driven this is you know what's happening in china not what happens in the book but you see a very close parallel to what could happen and what's been happening on facebook and it it's it has some even though it's a few years old it's it's got some real real it was prescient let's say mm. <laughs> I've never read it, but I definitely have seen it going in and out of the library. It looks really interesting. It is. Book for right now. I thought, and I, and I thought, well, I should read this, and then I couldn't put it down. Mm. That's always good, a good thing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I definitely appreciate your time and uh, just hearing about your story. I, thank you. Thank you for having me, Julie. This is, yeah. uh, this is great. And of course, you know, I'm a big fan of the Swampscott Library, so... Mm -hmm know that yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me many times oh of course yeah all right well i hope you have a great day and um we'll talk to you soon okay thanks right. julie thank you bye